Welcome to Soups On with Dr. Stephen Cook, Superintendent for Ben Lapine Schools. In every podcast, Dr. Cook is serving up the latest news about our schools. Tune in to stay informed about key topics and go behind the scenes to learn more about our great schools and community. Find all the Soups On podcasts at bls.fyi slash podcast. That's bls.fyi slash podcast. And now, here's Dr. Cook. Welcome to Soups On Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Cook, Superintendent of Ben Lapine Schools. On Soups On Podcast, we talk about all things public education, specifically as they relate to Ben Lapine Schools and the greater community. This week's topic is part three of uh, a sequence of, of podcasts we're doing to kind of give the, the community and our listeners a look into how we're building an operational plan for the 21-22 school year as a part of our expectations to sub- submit to the Oregon Department of Education. My guest today is Alandra Johnson. She's our Assistant Director of Communications here in Ben Lapine Schools. Welcome, Alandra. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So this is, we're going we're gonna to flip the script a little bit. I've been thinking about how best to do this particular part uh, for this podcast, and it's a little bit of a challenge because I've had to deal with it so much. So one of the things that we're going to try, and this is the first time I've tried this, so bear with us, I'm actually going to turn over hosting duties to Alandra, and she's going to interview me on the podcast, and I'm going to, because of all the work that, that we had to do on the reopening plan, which... Uh, our board heard at a board meeting earlier this week. Um, she's going to ask me questions about the process, the plan, and, and how that relates to the opening of schools and what, what impacts our families and students might see and feel. So I'm, I'm excited to hand her the keys to this today and have uh, to be a, a guest on my own podcast. So thanks for doing this, Alandra. I know it was you and I talked about this at, at one point. Before we get started, and I turn this thing over to you first, um, give me just a little introduction of who you are, your work with the district, what brings you into this room right now, and how you are supporting the school and the, di- the schools in the district in your capacity and your role. Oh, thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here. I work in communications, as you mentioned, which means any family communications that parents are getting at home from the district, you know, our website, social media, thinking about how we can communicate and share stories about students and staff with our community. So I I love my job. I think I I have the best job in the district personally, getting to go out and see amazing things that our um, kids are doing in school and getting to share that with our families. It makes my my heart happy. So I'm also a former reporter, so this was a great opportunity to pull back out those interview skills that I had at one point and see if we could um, flip the the tables and and get to to ask you some questions. So again, thanks for for the opportunity. Uh, And thanks for doing it. This will be a learning experience for me, and I'm ready to go. Thanks for having me on your show. (laughs) Indeed. Um, So first off, what's the purpose of this plan that we're talking about? We're talking about the the continuation of in-person instruction plan that was shared at the board meeting. What's the purpose behind this plan and how do you hope families and staff are going to view it and use it? Sure. So um, Oregon Department of Education clearly indicated that as an expectation for reopening for school this year that the every district has to submit an opening plan that specifies how they intend to address all the needs and expectations uh, related to uh, say opening safe schools and keeping our students and staff safe 
during this pandemic. And, uh, you know, it's 2020, March of 2020 is when this all started. Here we are starting year three of this, uh, of COVID being involved in some form in teaching and learning in schools. And so we were required by statute to develop this plan and held accountable to it by the Oregon Department of, of Education. So how was this plan put together? Who worked on it and what kind of things and factors went into building it? So this, we built this internally. So a lot of staff collaborated to build this plan. Uh, it's taken, uh, it's been a major, major lift. Um, it's such a different plan than last year. Last year, most of the decisions were made at the state level. And we were held responsible, if you will, for integrating how do we intend to meet specific goals. So our staff was in communication with uh, the, the department itself, with OHA, with the Oregon Health Authority, with our local public health agents, and we asked them a tremendous amount of questions and got a lot of feedback from them. We got uh, lots of feedback from staff and, and I too many emails to count from uh, community members who had lots of thoughts on what was uh, expected. Some of them were uh, helpful, some of them were mostly critical, but I can tell you this, every email we got we read. We um, couldn't put everything we got into the plan as part of that feedback, um, but we did take a lot of different sources to build what we felt like was a very well-balanced plan that focuses our interests on how do we maintain the best teaching and learning experience in our schools and then how do our all the various departments across the community that support that work in in our system how do they serve that in that capacity the best while maintaining a safe uh, and healthy environment so that our the the expectations of of how public health is a, somewhat of a responsibility in the school district and has been for many years, even previous to the pandemic. How do we meet those expectations as well? And so there's uh, there's a lot to that and trying to kind of thread the needle, if you will, and, and I, I'm gonna try and do this interview today without do, doing a lot of cliches, but the truth is much of it is a balancing act. So uh, lots of input, lots of, uh, lots of different people contributed and we're hopeful that our, our families and our staff will see and understand the decision-making and the logic for our plan and, uh, and why we chose the path we did. All right, well, let's get to it. Let's go through some of those key elements that are in this plan, and especially the, some of those things that might um, most impact families and, and kids as they're coming in. I know that one of the topics that folks may be on top of mind is about masks. So let's let's go through some of this mask guidance um, step by step and talk about where where what it'll be like this fall. Certainly. So before I start in on masks, I just want to remind uh, remind our listeners that that ultimately this is a this plan is is built about around the idea of layered protection, and layered protection actually is uh, is is kind of like having uh, six or seven ways that that. Uh, we're working to keep our students and staff safe. Um, but let's start with something like as simple as hand hygiene, where we wanna make sure we're reminding folks to keep, wash their hands a lot, uh, use hand sanitizer if they can't wash their hands. Things like ventilation, social distancing, when we have the flexibility to do that. Um, trying to uh, keep our schools clean, doing lots and lots of cleaning in our schools. Maybe it's not as much last year as we found out it. It's not as nearly as critical. And, and some of that comes back to learning more about uh, the the virus as as we are as it's in our community more and more. And so, 
Uh, and also we're going to add in another layer of protection, which was vaccinations. And so I think the reason I want to, that, that masks are a front of mind with most families is because it's the one that probably is the most uh, invasive to personal choice. And I think that's uh, why it gets so much attention. And so I am glad to talk about that. And I'm, I, would, I would like to give what I think is, for some people, some good news on masks. Um, if you do not know this, that the governor issued a mask mandate for indoor facilities um, just earlier this week, that actually didn't apply to our schools. We already had a mask mandate uh, that came from the governor's office through Oregon Department of, of Education specific to, and here's some really important logic to remember, specific to things that are congregate, so that means groups together, and compulsory, which means people are required to be there and more specifically students. And, and that's kind of where their limits stopped. Um, they didn't say things like optional things after school or uh, things that not all students are required to be at, that they would mandate that those masks be worn or required in those environments. They left that as a local decision. So that's a little bit of a good news. So what we're talking about specifically from the governor's guidance on masking is that we are required while students are in school in those, uh, what we would take attendance for, if you will, those sessions, that's required masking. Now, that gets, I'll tell you where that gets tricky. Um, it's trickier because our board passed, August 10th, the board passed uh, the plan that included some elevated uh, masking expectations for our under the age of 12 students. And I think that there's a good pause right there. There's a reason that they, they supported this action. And that is, I want to I put back to the forefront that we believe through the science and, and research that we've done and, and have had shared with us from kind of our health partners, which essentially are, are Deschutes County Public Health, uh, Oregon Health Authority, and the CDC, that uh, vaccinations now are the best uh, mitigation measure. And so are under the age of 12 students haven't had an opportunity to have those vaccinations. So we actually are having a little more stricting masking going on at our elementary schools. And essentially that when students are in the school building during the day, they would be expected to mask, even if they're there for like after school activities as well. Um, and we can talk about that more a little bit later. Uh, can, I, can I stop you right sure. there, Steve? I'm thinking, um, I just wanna make that like, do a quick underline of that. What we're saying is that masks are required in our schools when students are indoors, is that right? That's correct. And then what about if students are outdoors? So the good news on outdoors is that the, the CDC is, is no longer requiring masking for outdoors. As a matter of fact, they're not even recommending that it's required. Um, that's excellent news from the, the perspective of now, anytime we can move s situations, even if it's during the day when we would typically be requiring masking, if we move it outdoors, that whether you're vaccinated or not, there would not be an expectation for anybody to be masked. So that's good news. There's definitely enough air, according to the CDC, there's definitely enough air moving around when we're outside that it's not nearly a concern for uh, contagion on the outside. And so uh, that's a big change. And that is going to give us some flexibility when it comes to things like lunches. If, if the weather's nice, we can eat outside and people don't have to worry about uh, how far apart they are or those kinds of things as well. And then I think you went over this, but let's let's highlight that again. Athletics and activities for those ages 12 and older, are masks required for those? I'm thinking, you know, everything from volleyball to a drama production. What are what are we looking at for the for masks for those kind of things? 
That's correct. Those, those issues, now think about that. If you go back to those categories of is it congregate? Yes. Is it compulsory? Which means everybody has to do it. The answer to that is no. And so if, if both of those criteria aren't in place, then this is going to mean that they are not required to be masked in that time, during that time. And that was approved by our board at that board meeting. And so the, that part of our plan will be a substantial change from last year. The, uh, so you, when you talk about it, the very best example I can think of is, uh, is indoor volleyball practice. Um, last year, people were, or, or even in a competition, last year people were wearing masks during those times. This year, um, it would not be an expectation. We, we do expect that some will wear a mask because we're still going to recommend that masks may be considered and that we do still hold the stance that masks are great deterrents. Um, for the spread of this virus, but no longer required in those settings. So that is a change. Uh, that's a substantial change. It does have, uh, I don't want to say associated risks, but we'll talk about that a little more later when we start talking about quarantining, um, why there's a reason why people may want to consider masks in a different situation. So, but right now that's a pretty good guideline. We're, there is a division at roughly 12 years old, students that are under the age of 12, we're going to be a little more strict on masks. Over 12, a little less strict on masks. But for outdoor use, for outdoors, everybody is exempted from wearing a mask unless they choose to. Great. Let's, you mentioned quarantines. Let's get into that a little bit. There's some big changes here from last year. You know, last year, um, quarantines were a significant issue for our schools and, and we're seeing some, some major movement here. Can you walk me through some of the elements and changes we're seeing? So quarantines, there's, there's really quarantine is, is part of, a, of two words and that is isolations and quarantines. Um, both of those typically are associated with the process we've often talked about is known as contact tracing. So if there's a possible exposure to a positive COVID case in a school, um, well, first of all, the expectation of the po positive case is that they're expected to isolate. Um, that's, that's common this year. That was last year. That's the same language for this year. If you're positive with COVID, you're going to be asked to, uh, you're gonna, first of all, you're either going to get tested or somehow, some way, you're going to find out that you're positive and you would be asked to, to isolate. That isolation, depending on the circumstances, will typically be between 8 and 14 days. Any close contact to the, anybody that is in a positive case, that has a positive uh, COVID case, those people are subject to quarantining based upon the results of contact tracing. And contact tracing is the kind of investigative uh, actions that happen once a positive case is in an environment in which people might be exposed. Um, we'll see a, a pretty different approach this year because of the way the rules have changed regarding quarantine. And this is a very, there's actually two very substantial changes in this. If, number one, you are vaccinated and you are uh, believed to be a close contact of a positive case, and by that, by definition, within six feet unmasked or within three feet for 15 minutes uh, mask to mask, um, the just by nature of being vaccinated, you would not be expected to be quarantined anymore. That is a big change. Um, we didn't have access to vaccines last year when school was in session. So just those students alone who were a close, close encounter with a positive case for that 15-minute threshold 
um, they were all quarantined. This year, if they've been vaccinated, they would not be expected to quarantine. And that's as long as they stay asymptomatic. Correct. correct. Yes. We're talking about folks that are asymptomatic. So I think it is very important for us to remind folks that if people are symptomatic, number one, we're going to ask you to stay home. Number two, um, we can't make you, but we're definitely going to ask you to, to go get a test um, when that testing window opens up, because I think that's really important. And we're going to try to increase the amount of testing we have available. Back to quarantines, though, the second um, major change in who would be subject to quarantine, that's a big difference, is guidance that we've seen come from the CDC through the Oregon Health Authority all the way to our local school district, and that is when distanced by three feet or more, which three feet is actually a pretty manageable distance in a school, but both parties are mask to mask and one of those parties happens to be a positive, if that close contact for 15 minutes or more at that distance was with both parties wearing masks, then the person exposed in that environment is not required to quarantine. So those are two very big differences as to how uh, students could be remain in school that wouldn't have necessarily been able to remain in school last year because we did not have that flexibility for either of those in, with quarantining. And so we expect and anticipate that that's going to have a substantial reduction in the number of students that we would have to quarantine. And to be quite honest, Alandra, I'll just tell you that that is really what we're talking about right now is, yeah, we, we aren't super excited to be the mask police again, but we're going to do it because it's the expectation. But there's reason for that now. And I think one of the things that we're trying to express is that our goal isn't that everybody wear masks. Our goal is that we want to keep kids in school every single day. And so while the masks are an inconvenience, and, and I can't imagine anybody, I mean, maybe they're out there, but I've not talked to anybody that actually likes wearing masks. Um, and then someday we will be out of the business of wearing masks or maybe even asking people to wear masks. But right now, there's some pretty strong benefits to wearing them to keep you in school, if nothing more. Even if you don't uh, want to get a vaccination, if your exposures are always mask to mask, you wouldn't have to worry about being quarantined. So I understand this is a plan, what we're looking at for right now. We're sharing this with families and communities our plans for how we're going to open schools this fall. But I'm wondering, how often are we thinking we're going to review this plan or look to make changes? Sure. This is, you know, people who went through last year, whether in Ben Lapine schools or anywhere else, know that, that schools, school districts were challenged all year long with modifications and changes and things moving and changing. Um, and, and to some extent, I think that's a, 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 a situation we're going to have to address this year. But I think one of the things we can count on, number one, we, we will review this plan probably weekly and, and what are those changes. And, and as we get updates from, um, from any of our, our governing entities, both in public health or in uh, just like ODE, um, we would have to modify the plans if we're requested to do those. But I think more importantly, um, ODE is trying to, they, they built a plan in which the governor said, You're, yes, you have to wear a mask in school, but they are also reviewing that plan monthly. And at some point, they're going to either rescind or let that guidance expire, one of the two. And we built into the plan that we proposed to the board uh, earlier this week what it looks like when we get local control back. And we do anticipate that happening at some point this year. We do not think that we're going to wind up, um, you know, these could be famous last words, but we don't think we're going to go through the entire year under a governor's order. 
Um, and if and when we do, we wanted to be prepared and communicate with our families and our public what that would look like when it returned to our uh, kind of zone of authority, if you will. Yeah, so let's get into that. So the mask mandate goes away, control is returned to Ben Lapine schools. What are we looking at? It seems like we've, we've made, we've approved that, that plan. So, so what does that look like for us? So, so it really hinges on one thing, and that is when do students under the age of 12 get access to vaccinations? And so quite frankly, at the base of our plan, we, we use similar logic, um, compulsory and uh, congregate. But then we also added vaccination availability to our plan. And so right now, students under the age of 12 don't have access to vaccinations. And so we would believe that our best strategy for them would be to make sure that masks are required. Um, when we get local control, our, the plan we submitted to the board and the board approved was that above the age of 12, whether they're vaccinated or not, our goal is not to become the vaccination police by any means, but we would uh, make masks recommended above the age of 12 because families and parents who want the opportunity to be vaccinated when their students are above the age of 12 have had that opportunity. And so what that is, to, to the extent that it's in our control, it gives back to the parent their ability to make the decision for which, what's best for their child or their student. Um, there will be a point in time, a date, if you will, that the vaccination will be made available for students under the age of 12. And when that time comes, we're going to start a stopwatch. And our goal would be to give families that are interested in getting their students um, vaccinated some time in the window to, to, to get that vaccination done. And that we're looking at a window of time roughly 60 to 90 days after those vaccinations are available. And we've been able to to help support our local medical providers to give uh, those vaccination clinics all over the system, all over the uh, community, including our, our uh, schools. If we uh, can afford the, the space to allow that to happen, we would definitely be a good partner for that. That once those are in place, then we would, we would move our guidance. And that was, like I said, this has been approved by our board. We would move our guidance from required masking K through five or under the age of 12 uh, to recommended for all students. and. If, if things go well, we anticipate that that could happen at some point this year. Okay, I'm going to recap what I think I just heard, which is if we get local control, right away we could see masks become recommended and not required for those ages 12 and older. Correct. And we would have the same plan for those ages under the age of 12 as soon as vaccinations are ready for that age group 60 to 90 days after those vaccinations are readily available. That is exactly correct. All right. Okay, we got it. Okay, good. Um, so I wanted to know, looking at this plan, there's a lot of meat in it, but what is your top, your overall message that you want families to know about this plan? Yeah, this is the toughest one. I think, I, I think, number one, we are a big fan of vaccinations. We just feel like that, that the, first, the first thing is, and we recognize, we know that this is an emergency use vaccine, and I, and I get it. But even if you're on the fence, I, you know, folks that are adamantly opposed or just have help for health reasons can't do it, we respect that and we recognize that. But we also know and understand that, that most folks, for the most important thing for them, are having their students in school. And we want their students in school as well. And so, so for us, vaccination is a really good ticket for uh, doing what we can to ensure that. It's, it, you wouldn't have to be quarantined once you're fully vaccinated. So for our families who are considering this, um, you, you have 
some time before you're, if you have students over the age of 12, um, but still not vaccinated, it's, you know, it's a little before school starts. You could almost be fully vaccinated by the first day of school if that's something that you're considering. You, that's a personal decision. We recognize that. But that would be our first message. Secondly, that, um, yeah, masking again this year, we recognize that that's not the greatest thing in the world, but we've, we do believe that there's going to be an exit strategy. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to incorporate, once we get local control back from the state, the plan for how we would intend to do that so that we're out there with it and it's public and it's available and, and people can start knowing and understanding what that looks like. Um, and I think lastly is that we want to start to really re-engage our community on the real job of what, te- what schools are for, and that is teaching and learning. Um, that's, uh, we're in our third school year of COVID, and I've, I've been talking about COVID for, for a long time, and parents have been hearing about COVID for a long time, and students have been doing everything we've asked of them. And it's time for, for us, as we can phase out of uh, frontline of public health, to really start to elevate that experience and bring that joy back into our schools so that teaching and learning is the primary responsibility that we have and that we're excited to be a part of. And it's what we're good at. And it's what we know is best uh, and how to deliver that with our students so that their experiences make them feel part of a community in which they're loved, cared for, and pushed every day to academic excellence. What would you say to those families who just really want masks to be a choice? Some maybe who are even feeling disappointment or anger at this mandate. What would you say to those folks out there? I would, I would say I, I empathize. Um, I, this, I, there's no words to, to replace the struggle that they're, they're having. Um, we recognize that this is a tough place that we've, we've put your families in and, and, uh, you know, we've had some people tell us, I'm, I'm going to unenroll my kids because I just cannot subject them to this anymore. And we recognize that decision. We wish that we weren't in this position with them as well. Um, and we're sorry that it has to be that w- this way. Um, we believe with the guidance we've received fr- from uh, our, our scientific partners, if you will, the CDC and uh, Oregon Health Authority and Deschutes Public Health, that this is the best path forward. And we respect families' rights to to make a decision otherwise. Um, we're going to need you to wear a mask, though, if you're coming in our schools. That's the rules that we're going to live by. And, and um, the governor made it clear that this was an expectation and that there would be consequences and penalties if we didn't. And so um, while I respect their decisions and I respect their frustrations and I know that it's tough, um, we're sorry that we have, to, we have to hold that line. So getting away from masks for a bit, Let's talk a little bit about the school year overall. What, what's your hope for this school year? Oh, this is this is such a fun sentence to answer. My hope is that at some point this year we can kind of start talking about masks in the rearview mirror, start talking about the pandemic as we've got a plan for how to how to come out of that and really double down on what teaching and learning experiences are, are going to look like and creating a an environment in our schools that are welcoming and care for each and every student and and what they're bringing in emotionally we want to we want to promote an academic environment in which students are provided those opportunities to excel and achieve and make sure that that they feel that connection um, I, I want our kids to be happy I want our kids to be proud of the work that they're doing and we want that culture of our schools back. 
and the, the way that that energy feeds into the teaching and learning and just builds upon itself so that we can start creating so much positivity around this. And, and maybe we can get away from all the negativity that our community is struggling with and some of the divisiveness and, and, uh, and start building that sense of community around teaching and learning again. I think uh, this has been tough time period a tough 18 months and and however long it's going to take to get through this on our community and and i do believe that our schools are at the center of that and if we can bring that positivity back to our schools we can help our community start to heal and move past this in a way that is uh that brings us back into a positive environment together and, and making great decisions for our children and uh that's my hope i love that well i think that's all of the questions that I have today. So I guess I'll hand it back over to you. Thank you again for this opportunity to get to ask you some questions today. It was, it was really fun. Thanks, Alandra. I'm so glad. I, when I first thought of this and I thought, you know, she's flexible. She would love this opportunity. It'd be like the good old days when she was still back doing, uh, being a reporter. So thank you. I'm so excited to try this and see if people like this format. We'll, uh, we'll push this out and see what kind of feedback we get. All right, folks, that's it for today. I hope this was helpful. It's kind of a three-part series on the reopening plan. Uh, we started with talking about the expectations of RSSL two episodes ago, all the way to the plan that was approved by the board earlier this week. Um, we That information, be patient with us. We'll get that out on our website, and you'll be able to read full, word for word what's in there. If you want to, anybody that wants public access to it, that is available now on the on the board page of the the uh, of our web page, uh, you can go in and look at it. It's a lot of words, a lot of slides, but help yourself. Uh, I just want to thank my guest, Alandra Johnson, for providing such great interview questions uh, regarding our opening plan. Um, remember, this is episode three of our new podcast in Benton Pine Schools. If you're pleased with the work we're doing on these podcasts, please remember to share them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Additionally, if you feel like there are topics that you'd love to have us tackle, please send us a note. Also, we're always open to your feedback and love your th to get your thoughts. Um, thanks for listening to Soup's On. I'm Steve Cook, superintendent here. Please remember to support public education. You've been listening to Soup's On with Dr. Stephen Cook, superintendent for Ben Lapine Schools. Find more episodes at bls.fyi slash podcast. If you have a topic you'd like to suggest, email us at podcast at ben.k12.or.us. Thanks for listening.